0: Be Monday, my Liberty kitty cats. And before we get into today's episode, in which my guest will try to convince me and you to move to the free state of Florida, I want to tell you about another sponsor, and this ties right in because uh, my sponsor, the Expat Money Show, my friend Mikkel Thorup, he is trying to convince you to move outside of the United States. And actually, one step that a lot of people will make, uh, depending on when they are in the U.S., before they become an expat, they will move first to a low or no tax state like Florida. There are a lot of reasons to do that, and you can learn so much more about this by subscribing and listening to the Expat Money Show. It is absolutely essential that you have a backup plan for yourself, for your family, that you have a second passport, that you have overseas investments, that you protect yourself from the shit hitting the fan here in the United States. So I want to encourage you to subscribe and listen to the Expat Money Show, hosted by my friend Mikkel Thorup. And while you're at it, come on over, join the conversation in the Expat Money Forum, which I actually help moderate. You can find that over at expatmoneyforum.com. We need- Empower people with not just the philosophical people but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship
1: Lions of Liberty Podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration,
0: and real-world application from the top minds of the Liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen.
1: Guide, your shining beacon of liberty,
0: Mark live and live All right, Kitty Cats, with me today, he is the co host of Rothbard Radio, along with good friend of the show, Ryan McMakin. He is the assistant editor of of the Mises Wire as well over there at the Mises Institute. He is also the former Deputy Communications Director for the House Financial Services Committee, and he is just full of Florida man energy. I am so thrilled to welcome Tho Bishop. Tho, are you ready to roar? I am. Let's do this. First things first, though, uh, like we talked about before the show, we've been exchanging emails for a while. Uh, but I want to get to know you a little bit better before we dive into this thing, before you convince me to move over there to Florida. So uh, why don't you just give me a little bit of your background? I mean, you work for the House Financial Services Committee. How did the, how did that come about? And how did this whole journey end up leading you to work over there at the Mises Institute? Uh, well, it's interesting.
1: It actually started with Batman.
0: Awesome. I love where this is going already. Okay. So, um, I mean, back <laughs> in the
1: day, I, I, I used to love message boards. Like, I, I think that was a, it was a golden age of online discussion, right? Because you had an avatar, you had, a, you had a screen name, you didn't have the Facebook profile that brought everything in it. And so me, like, I was someone that always was interested in debating politics and, and just debate in general. And so um, after Batman Begins 2005, I got interested in the, uh, kind of the, the message boards building up to the Dark Knight. And there was a, a message board called Superhero Hype, and they had a political forum in there. And on it, this was during, like, the peak of the financial crisis. And uh, for the first time, like I didn't have like hot takes about the financial crisis because I never was interested in economics. I kind of thought, oh, well, there's experts that that uh, concern themselves with this topic. You know, I, I was I was, you know, kind of a, a growing anti-war Republican, but I was still, you know, kind of early on in the process. This Ron Paul guy seemed interesting. And so there's this one guy that just kept nailing reports before anyone else was doing it. And so I finally reached out to him and said, look, like, how do I get to know what you know? And, you know, I learned after the fact, you know, he, he was an Austrian ANCAP. I never met the guy in person. His name was uh, Paradoxium. And uh, he he sent me to uh, economics in one lesson. Paradoxium. Yes, please reach out. <laughs> yeah, it's changed my life. But he sent me to economics in one lesson. And then that kind of led me down the the, the rabbit hole. And uh, I started writing about this Austrian stuff, got really big into um, and kind of applying it to you know, reading uh, uh, what Frank Shostak was writing, Bob Murphy and, and Karen DaCosta. And so I started blogging this and uh, Spencer Backus was a congressman from Birmingham. He was by no means a, a libertarian, but friendly to Ron Paul. And after the Tea Party took over in 2010, um, he had, he was now chairman of the Financial Services Committee. And so I ended up having a meeting with him. I said, hey, look, are you familiar with this Austrian economic stuff? They were calling all of this before anything else happened. And uh, and so kind of, I, I did a little, little report kind of summarized all of the Mises.org stuff on the financial crisis. And then he hired me to Washington. So I went from being a college dropout, working in a coffee shop in a uh, back beach road here in Panama city, uh, to my first week in DC at Wednesday, we had Tim Geithner in for a grilling. And then we had, um, Ben Bernanke in on Thursday and I got to meet Ron Paul himself. So, uh, that's that's what led me there was just kind of consuming this content, writing it, and then uh, was able to, to land a gig. And, you know, the rest is history.
0: This is an important thing to discuss, actually, because this is something I just uh, discussed with Matt Kibbe uh, recording an interview for his show. And, uh, you know. About how it's important to be in the culture and be everywhere because you never know where you're going to find someone and where you're going to inspire them to look into things. Now you were just kind of you know messing around on a Batman forum, uh, you know, you know, thinking about what the next movie might be like. But suddenly you find yourself you know diving into Austrian economics just because someone on that forum was also into these topics and that kind of led you down your pathway. And I think that's why it's so important for libertarians out there to not just go be libertarians everywhere, go be humans everywhere, go be people with interests everywhere and become valuable members of your communities uh, for very non-political reasons. But then when certain things come up, when there are topical things that people are talking about, even in those communities, you're the one with the answers. And now because you weren't that pushy libertarian trying to push your politics on people, you were just a guy actually participating in the forum, providing value that way. People are going to listen to you because I'm sure if this guy was just on that Batman forum, just pushing his politics all day long, people would have been like, get out of here. What are you doing?
1: Right, exactly, and and I think that's that's when I try to you know communicate. We, we don't want to get stuck in like this this libertarian ghetto where like all the only thing that matters is you know getting pat on the back by people that always agree with us, right? Like you, you know being able to spread you know, spread the message out there, trying to get other people interested, and uh, uh, you yeah, know it definitely changed my life.
0: Yeah, another another thing we can take from your story there though is that you know a lot of people m- might look at what you're doing uh, just just the, even what you're doing right now working at the Mises Institute uh, how you were, were able to work with the House Financial Services Committee and think well I, I don't have a background I can never do that, that kind of stuff this kind of guy is doing um, but you didn't either you know you like you said you're a college dropout you're just messing around uh, you know talking about Batman and here you are so the answer to anything you want to do and this doesn't apply to just the political world this applies to everything yes you can you can do it. um it's just a matter of if you want to and if you if your passions bring you there uh but anyone can do almost anything i'm mean, not to sound like uh, your, your third grade teacher here but it really is true and the 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 further that i grow in life the further i can see that all these things i never thought i could do i am doing and i can do because i did them and we're all humans we're all capable of doing just about anything if we, we apply ourselves to it
1: no, no, absolutely, and and again, the thing is, once you have your moment, then make the most of it. Because like, I think a lot of people just, you know, we, we kind of get in our heads, and, and we, we you know we we assume that oh, if someone if if this could be done, someone else would already done. It's like no, that 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 is the 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 difficulty, the dangers of the efficient market hypothesis in, in terms <laughs> of uh, daily human life. Ignore yeah. it
0: yeah under under that theory, I wouldn't have never needed to start Lions of Liberty because there would have already been the perfect libertarian podcast out there. Not that we're the perfect libertarian podcast. I like to think we're as close as you could possibly get. But you know, when I started this podcast, I started it because it didn't exist because I was looking for at the time a place I could just like tune in every week and hear an interview with a libertarian about their story about why they believe what they believe it didn't exist. So I, I had two options whine about it, not existing, or just sit around and wait for it to exist. Or I guess I could have waited a month for Tom Woods to start his podcast, but I didn't know that was going to happen <laughs> at the time, but, but instead I just decided to you know, do it, do it myself. So if there's, if there's a need out there, if there's a niche that you need to be filled, that, that needs to be filled in your own life, consider the fact that you might be able to fill it yourself. Absolutely. But it takes a lot of work, by the way. Don't just think you can (laughs) do do this overnight. Uh, It's harder than it looks, my friends. But uh, uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, though, this is actually how this conversation started. You were on Twitter uh, really hyping up the idea of moving to Florida and why Florida should be a, uh, you know, a a base for libertarians or at least a place that people of this liberty mindset should be seriously looking at. And so I invited you on. I said, let's just uh, let's just hash this out on the show live. So make your pitch, though. Why Florida? Why is this the place to be?
1: Well, again, it's, it's interesting. In the last few weeks, you've had other states kind of take our approach in terms of opening up. Uh, you know, in in space of all the all the criticism out there for the lockdowns and things like that. I'm glad that we're finally seeing Texas and Mississippi and some of these other states kind of follow uh, the the lead that Governor DeSantis has taken on this issue. But you know, the great thing though is is that you know, the the foundations of Florida, I think, are strong in a variety of ways. That you know, having DeSantis's leadership in that specific time highlighted. But one of the coolest things I think it's very easy to to overlook is that, you know, if we understand, right, that, uh, you know, before you get taxation, you get the spending that comes beforehand. Right. Mm -hmm. Florida actually has the lowest amount of spending per person in the country, which is pretty incredible when you consider the fact that we have a very, you know, we have we have, I think, the fifth oldest population in the state, which is very relevant to some of the comparisons on the COVID issue. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've been a purple state, you know, in terms of national elections. And so it's be easy to kind of see us as being kind of more moderate on those issues. But so our, our spending and our, our, our physical discipline, again, relative to the grand scheme of things, right? You know, it's, it's always got to be relative. There's plenty of things that I, I would cut if you could give me the authority in, in, uh, in Tallahassee. But, you know, we've been very strong in this issue. Uh, we also have a lot of our, our actors on both the, the state and um, local levels that have been very uh, pro- progressive on the, the cryptocurrency issue. In fact, I think it was the, the tax collector down in Seminole County that was the first county to accept cryptocurrency as a means of tax payment. Now, I, I don't suggest anyone actually do that, right? Hold, hold that, get rid of the dollars. But I think it was just a way of kind of showing that you have some people on the legal side of things trying to be proactive in terms of it we still have a long way to go to match uh, Wyoming and what uh, Caitlin Long and some of the state legislators in that state have accomplished on it. Um, I'm trying to, to work on that here right now. Um, but I think that's, that's a good good thing as well. And also our regulatory side of things is that you know we have we had a very powerful Americans for Prosperity chapter here. Um, And so, again, it it helped. You know, we've done a lot of stuff on the direct primary care stuff in terms of health care. We've been reducing our licensing things, and all this sort of stuff, all the boring regulatory side of things that I think do show in terms of what can politics accomplish on the policy side of things. It's it's easy to get blackpilled when you look at the circus of D.C., but there is, you know, a lot of action. The differences, I think, in the performance of certain states relative to others, I think is a, is a subject that we don't give enough credit to. Ryan Macon, I think, is one of the best in really doing state by state comparisons so that we can kind of try to think about the United States in terms of, you know, what you would expect from like different countries competing with each other. Um, and I think, again, Florida has a lot of advantages in that. But we also have I think there's just there's a it's a, it's a fascinating state where there's there's a lot of different cultures involved as well It kind of all can, you know, with, with this, this string of Florida man energy throughout. Right. And if we're here, for example, I'm, I'm the panhandle, uh, Panama City Beach um, used to be spring break capital of the world. You know, they, they've, they've cracked down a little bit. You know, there's, there's, there's still plenty of statism to fight here, both in the local and state level.
0: How did they crack down on spring break? Exactly.
1: They, so, so the problem is, is that you had a lot of bad actors uh, a few years ago in the nineties, you had the rise of MTV stuff. A lot of things came down here. And then you had certain um, venues that were kind of grandfathered in that had immunity from some of the you know, that's, that's moderate forms of crowd control. And so you had a lot of really bad um, you, you had, you had crime issues. You had no, noise ordinances, You, you had things that undermined the the kind of the quality of life from a lot of the neighborhoods here. And so the response from it was kind of a, you know, there, there were, it was an issue that could have been dealt with delicately. But of course, you get a government that kind of nukes the whole thing, and so they banned alcohol on the beach in the the uh, month of March in both Panama City Beach and uh, in the county. Um, which yeah, it's it's a long issue. Was something I thought at the time, um, particularly because like one of the interesting things about Bay County is that you know if if you're a server on the beach side here in Bay County, like you can make a really you can make a decent living. I mean, you're not going to become a millionaire, um, unless you save and buy Bitcoin, right? Um, but you know, but it's a, it's a really good sort of you know, blue collar job here where I've got friends that, you know, they work service industry, um, uh, great on tips. Uh, I've got you know, friends that have boats. I, I don't have a boat. I, I'm very jelly. I, I love when I have to go, go out with them. It's so, like, there's, you can make a really good living here. It's a low, low barrier of entry as well, which I think is great for our economy. Um, and so that was really terrified about that, what that would do with our service industry here. Luckily we've, um, kind of grown our, our, uh, seasonal market here. So with a lot of families that come in October, uh, uh, September. So it was kind of stretched it out, which kind of helped uh, make up for the economic impact in that. But so we got some issues. Um, but, the, but the culture here is, and, and particularly the Panhandle is interesting because it's, it's kind of a mix of like the best of like Southern culture, the little bit of sort of surfer vibe. And so like you have people here, like they they, they get, they, they understand instinctually, like sort of the, the don't tread on me sort of aspect to it with a little bit of kind of Jimmy Buffett sort of aesthetics with the boomers. <laughs> Um, you know, but it's, it's it works there. Um, in Central Florida, you have a lot more farm farmland. Ocala in particular, a lot of, a lot of cattle and things like that. Orlando, you get kind of the tourist sphere. Tampa, which is a wonderful area, got a lot of friends down there. You got, you have a lot of um, kind of Cuban influence in that area. And then obviously, Miami is kind of its own own neck of the woods entirely as well with a uh, uh, very different graphics there. But again, so it's Florida. It's a very rich state of different cultures, there's a, there's a fit for anyone, right? Like if, if you're looking for a big city, Miami is is now again. It's, they're trying to become the crypto hub of, of the United States. There's a lot of great stuff down there, and so I like, I think there's a lot of of great uh, aspects within the our state government relative to the rest of the country, with a lot of great little pockets um, that that help. We also have a very strong communities here, um, and for example, like you here in Bay County, you wouldn't think about it but like we, I've got a whole network of people where I can make like Hoppe jokes too and like they get it, right? And I, I think that it's that social connection. I think, you know, being able to, to actually have in person, you know, some of the, the, the benefits of the Liberty social media sphere, right? That I think is something that can be underappreciated at times because you have a really good, strong network of people and, and young professionals that you can connect with that share our values. I think that goes a long way. And so that's what I'm trying to build up here in Bay County in particular, my little section of Florida here in the Redneck Riviera. Because the more we can attract talent here, I think I'm really excited about what we can accomplish and what we can influence here in, in this particular community.
0: Yeah I certainly don't have any places uh, I can think about here in Los Angeles that I could uh, roll in and make a make a Hans hermann Hoppe joke and I uh, <laughs> expect to expect anyone to even have a clue what I'm talking about first of all, uh, let alone uh, give me a positive response <laughs> Yeah,
1: and, and, and yeah it's great because I, then I have a, like a larger network out there that they think of the hardcore people, but like they're, they I, I can make a Rothbard joke with
0: them right so there's there's layers here to the the sort of community we're able to build. Uh, And are you from this area originally? Is this where you've lived your whole life? Yes,
1: yes. Born and raised. And my, my wife is as well. So we got a lot of roots here.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So now you're trying to trying to suck the rest of us, trying to suck all the libertarians uh, down there into Florida. And I, and this is, but ultimately, this is a strategy. It's actually what I think is the only strategy that we have going forward. Because it, in many ways, I, I'm extremely blackpilled when it comes to national politics. Uh, I essentially feel there is no hope there whatsoever. Wonderful if we can get someone with remotely libertarian views out there on any kind of debate stage. I'm all for it. If we can make it happen, make it happen. That's awesome. But it's not really where the hope lies. Uh, at least for me, I, I think the only hope we really have is finding ways that we can create communities for ourselves, communities of like minded people, communities of support. And in many ways, uh, we're forming those communities online. But for the rest of our lives, for our actual day to day lives, uh, the only place to form those communities is going to be in person by physically moving to places where there are more like-minded people and where you can actually develop a network of support to rely on. And uh, in many ways, that was kind of the, the um, well, there's also a political aspect too, but that was basically the impetus behind the Free State Project, finding a place that all the libertarians can move to, concentrate ourselves, support each other, and then also make some political headway at the same time. Um, not to make a comparison, but let's make a comparison. How, how would you compare the state of things in Florida other than the weather? Because I'll be honest, that's what keeps me from moving to New Hampshire. Right, exactly. um, I don't want to be cold. I, li- I grew up in the Northeast. I'm allowed to say this because I spent 20-something years being cold I don't want to be cold anymore, so I'm not going to do it. So don't bother, guys. But for everybody else out there that isn't a wuss like me and is, is willing to be cold or hot or whatever they want, whatever the temperature may be, like what what advantages do you see just from the culture and the climate, not the not the, um, the weather climate, but the political climate do you see in Florida over a place like New Hampshire?
1: And also, I mean, New Hampshire's made a lot of great gains in this past election cycle. I, I think that's worth noting. I mean, now I think the the uh, Republican majority leader is a free stater. Um, and that's that's where like an organization like Yale that I mean they had they had I think they they had more more victories in New Hampshire than I think any other state. The other great thing about New Hampshire is that their state legislature they, they have one of the largest state legislatures in spite of the size of the state. And again, this goes to Brian McMagan and um, actually uh, Dr. Mark Thornton have done really interesting work on like how, uh, uh, constituency size. And the more uh, representation you have per constituency, like you have, can have better results in terms of government, which I think is all very interesting. So Which is
0: really like not instinctual for what a lot of libertarians might think. A lot of libertarians might think, "What? I don't want more. I don't want a bigger legislature. I don't want more politicians. But there is a pretty strong argument that the more the closer those um, constituents or the closer those politicians are connected to their constituents, uh, I guess kind of the, the more they have to actually be held accountable, the more they can't just kind of legislate from from afar.
1: Exactly. And so that creates all sorts of interesting opportunities. And, um, and again, it like, because like prior to this, like you had like New Hampshire was trying to push things on like getting um, uh, a new income tax like put in there. And it's like, you know, so when I was I was watching some of those headlines play up last year, so it's was like, man, like this, the, the Free State Project, you know, has got even worse than I I, I thought. Because I, I didn't want to go up there because of the same reason you had with weather. And so I was getting a little disappointed because I like the idea of it Fine, Right. So, again, maybe maybe the political situation in New Hampshire is, is improving in that regard and, and maybe you have a more radical um, state government there that could that could provide some some unique advantages there. Here in thinking Florida's it, it's it's not that we have like this massive wave of like ideological libertarians. Like I, I don't think like Ron DeSantis for example goes home and reads Rothbard. I don't um, think so. But but what, what you have is for one like again this is going to be kind of kind of might be a little bit boring. But like Florida is interesting because we have term limits uh, in our state legislature, which creates a lot of a quick turnaround in terms of how long you can you can stay. Within the legislature, which I, I think it's I think, I think one of the interesting topics that doesn't get a lot of discussion is that you know it's easy to compare like California to, to Texas or New York to Florida. But I think like Florida right now is much better governed than Texas. And so you get like a red state, red state comparison. And it's because I think twofold. One is, again, I, Rick Scott, I, I was not a particular fan of. But when he became governor in 2010, he was very much like an outsider. He was like proto Trump, which I think is kind of gets lost a little bit because he, he was a billionaire, kind of create his own own. Industry around him, he didn't even like. Was really that tightly wound with the Republican Party of Florida, which is kind of interesting. And so, what it, what it brings is a little bit of outsider sort of perspective. You have a lot more merit based uh, employment for some of those decision making positions. And so, I, I think that has led. So, it is, it, the more things are, are led by something that resembles merit over purely sort of uh, long standing favors within a political system, I think that creates the opportunity for better outcomes. Um, whereas, like Texas, every single governor besides George W. Bush previously held the position of being a statewide office. Um, every lieutenant governor, which is actually a very powerful position within kind of the weird Texas government there, came from the land commissioner job, which is currently uh, operated by an heir of the Bush dynasty, which kind of shows you how things are over there. They're, um, still, they're still around there, huh? Yeah, they're, they're still kicking around. Like he, he he's, he, he's uh, I think that he was much more adamant, you know, publicly at least pro-Trump than he was uh, a Jeb, which at see? he, he kind of gets that side of things a little bit more, uh, more op- opportunistic in that regard. Um, and so, again, yeah, and then you have the DeSantis come along. And like, the DeSantis, what I, I think would re- really stands out with his leadership and, and contrast like someone like like Christy Nome is that, for one, like, it's a lot easier to open, to keep like a state like South, South Dakota open, not, not to do anything to take away from what that was. Cause like she sucked, you know, she was the one like island of liberty for a very long time. And that I think made it easier for DeSantis to do what he did. But like, the, uh, South Dakota, I think, is a population of less than a million people. So it's smaller than some of the cities in Florida. And also, again, doesn't have that retiree population, which you know, I, I have a great aunt down in Miami. She's ninety-five years old. She hates taxes. Great, but like, she's also very concerned about, like, she's particularly hypersensitive to the COVID situation, which sure. I understand. And and so, like, what 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 made the what what made DeSantis, I think so unique was that instead of simply saying we're opening up, he he really built like an intellectual foundation for those arguments beyond simply a pure liberty perspective, which again, that should have been enough, but. And 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 so it's kind of the, the great Barrington situation that he had over the AIER, where like it created this intellectual foundation. And I think this is important because, particularly as someone who I think has higher political ambitions, is that I, I think DeSantis became really red pilled on just how bad the policy ex, uh, you know, ex, expert class in Washington really is. And I think that made him a lot more radical in the way he handled this entire situation. And I think that projects very favorably to his policies going forward. Because I think that's like, I've become a, a, a bigger fan of democracy, for example, this past year, which might be now my most controversial take in uh, certain libertarian circles, precisely because like, it's the non-democratic actors in Washington that are the most dangerous, I think, to liberty. And, and that, that expert class is a big part of it. And so I think there's this now this, this sense of Florida where we're not simply taking what Washington experts tell us and then trying to create a statewide plan like we now kind of see because these people are full of crap. And we have to do our own thing. And so, again, I think that lends itself to a liber- to a, a legislative environment that, again, there's plenty of things we do wrong. 2018, we passed a, r- a horrible gun bill. That, that's one of the areas where we're trying to focus on right now. Um, but, again, I, it, sh- it, it I think, makes us relative to other states within, you know, the, the, the current Zanning Union um, better. And, and and I think that creates some, some interesting bulwarks, to future uh, transgressions upon our liberty
0: yeah i mean from a lot of libertarians they might hear what you say and instead of responding to your thoughts about what DeSantis has been doing in regards to responding to lockdowns or what have you they might jump in and say well i bet he sucks on marijuana right. or I, I bet he's terrible on this this issue or that issue right. but i think this this really speaks to the larger conversation here about about political strategy and what people of this uh the libertarian or pro-liberty ilk uh, might might want to be looking at, because we I think we get into trouble when we try to start applying our libertarian purity tests. If you want to apply them on libertarian podcasts and debates that I might host, I'm cool with that. That's fun. That's why we do this stuff. That's why we have these conversations. But if you want to apply them equally to populist politics, you're not going to have anywhere to go ultimately, except for the libertarian party. And we know the problems there if we, we want to actually get something done. And, and that's
1: what I, th- I think, again, Rothbard is, uh, is again, I, I think, the, the most brilliant American scholar perhaps of all time, because like, what's great about Rothbard, what really makes him unique, and I, I think this is an aspect of him that is so often overlooked, is that obviously he's the, he's the, the intellectual father of anarcho-capitalism, right? And he, he was an anarcho- anarcho-capitalist because he hated the state, and like, that, that tone so saturates so much of his work, and I think there's a lot of people that are attracted to his, his radical anti-state nature. And and yet what what really makes him great is that in spite of this intense loathing of the state and the, the, the evils of the American empire and all that baked in, he did not simply stop his political analysis with politics bad, government bad, that's all you need. Instead, he so hated the state that he got serious about what did it mean to have political victories against the states. So he, was, he wasn't anti-politics at all. And I mean, in, in, both in terms of his, his public analysis and all of his personal writings and things like that, I mean, he was a political junkie. Like He loved it. And, and so like, and I, I think that's an issue that you have a lot of people that you know, they, they hate the state and they think that's enough. And so they apply their own values on it so that anybody that gets interested in the pol- or tries to, tries to treat politics as anything but an, kind of a, an ultimate taboo you know, a sign of 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 you know dirtiness. Which again, I, I understand all of that. But it, it undermines what actually comes about because you, know, you politics doesn't go away simply because you reach really, really hard that you want it to. Like you have to engage on how do we wind this thing back. And and I, you know, that's why I think Rothbard's political strategy which again was was, was you know he, he he spanned the gambit, right? You know, he tried to make alliances with anyone he thought was more open to his, his message opposed you know for, for peace and, and pro-liberty. And again, that's, that's what I thang, think is so, so engaging. And that's what I've been trying to do is bring up, particularly in the, kind of this unique moment we're, we're living in, where we have fifty plus million you know, boomer Republicans that are absolutely convinced of the illegitimacy of the Biden administration. Like this is this is such a unique opportunity in American history that I, I think Rothbard's your strategy toward the right in particular is more powerful, more unique, and, and more timely now than it has ever been before. So that's been, I, I've been cre- creating some, a little bit of uh, a Twitter content on that, which is, uh, I had some fun back and forth with.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, Many will even just take what you just said right there about you know uh, MAGA people who are you know don't see the legitimacy of the Biden administration as an opportunity, and they'll be horrified by that statement. They'll say, "What? Right. You think we need to cater to to these MAGA people? Cater to the Trump people? They're lost, and that is just the worst possible attitude to take. Because if you're if you're deciding if you're making you're basically becoming the left, then you're becoming Hillary Clinton. You're becoming the people, the kind of people that say these are deplorables. They're lost. They're nothing to us. You're depersoning them by saying that right. you were." Really, especially as libertarians, we can't really see anybody as lost. Yeah, a lot of people on the left might feel lost, and but even them, at some point, if there's an opportunity that presents itself for them to become very anti-state on one issue, that's an opportunity we need to take too. But at this point, at this juncture in time, there is a huge opportunity there with people who see an illegitimacy and it doesn't matter if we agree that the the election was legitimate or not but the fact is there's this large segment of people here here that do so how can we take that and without necessarily taking even a position on the election per se how can we use that little window uh to open the door to them and say well here's why you need to listen to us here's why you need to learn um you know what the state really is and why whether or not this election particularly is legitimate or not the whole thing is illegitimate, and maybe we, maybe we can show those people a little bit of, of why that is.
1: Right, and it's interesting because I, I think that, you know, kind of the core of Austrian economics, and obviously a lot of political libertarians, a lot of, a lot of anarchists, et cetera, that, that are fans of Austrian school, which is fantastic, wonderful. But at the core of Austrian economics is the understanding that value is subjective, right? It, it, is, it is not within the intangible properties of the unit itself, but the way that other people see it, right? And again, this applies to politics as well as it does, you know, any other good out there, and so, if you have a po- political you know, figure, like even it doesn't matter how, or you know, trying to 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 make politics simply about your own personal views on a, a an item or or a, or a figure, that's always less important than the reaction that you get from the community that you're trying to win over. I mean, po- politics is about persuasion and coalition building more than it is about your own individual viewpoints on this. That's I I, I think there's a, there's a concept that I've been I've used on Twitter a bit. As, you know, it's, a lot of libertarians suffer from, in the meme out there, libertarians are autistic. Well, it, it is a form of political autism. The same way, like Mises talks about the autistic economy, where, like, you're a single individual on an island. The same sort of thing applies here in this, pol- this, this political view, where, like, if it, if it doesn't pass my purity test, then it's not useful. Again, I, I, Rothbard certainly rejected that. And, again, I, I, it, it, like, when, when Mises talks about, okay, well, like, on a marketplace, the, the, the items that are going to sell the most goods are going to be the ones that cater to the masses, um, and, and, you know, Rothbard, the, the, the phrase that Mises used in anti-capitalist mentality is, is one of my favorites. He you know, uh, talks about trashy literature and says, like, yeah, sure, like you're going to get detective novels from the semi-barbarians among us. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop great things from being produced. Well, the problem is, like, in a democracy, that does happen. You, you only get one product. Right. And so that product has to cater to the masses. And so that's where, like, you know, that's where libertarians, I think, so often fail in politics is because they want to they use politics as an outlet to express their own individual values without trying to understand how do you get enough sort of public support within a democratic system um, to get that acted, you know, to, to get acted upon. And, and again, you don't need perfect allies for all of these issues. And DeSantis is not a perfect ally. But his election, that, that, that single election, uh, 32,000 votes in 2018 has the, is the biggest determining factor on how much liberty I have in my day-to-day life right now. And I, I don't think it's smart for anyone to just, just under just dismiss the significance of that. And and again, I, this is the good thing, though. Is I think there's a lot – I prefer – like, I'm someone that I, I like to see a lot of debate and, and, and discussion and and divides even with the libertarian movement because I, I think there's a mistake where we try to, like, homogenize liberty. Like, and and this, this was really big like, after, I think, the Ron Paul thing, right? You had people, you had certain organizations that held very large events. On trying to separate the libertarian movement away from everything else Mm -hmm. and i think certain people like they 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 long for the days right you could have like left libertarians and right libertarians kind of unified and and meet at a conference in dc and and it's it's, it's, i I don't think that's the way way it works i I think societies are built on values that are beyond simply kind of a thin view of libertarianism but there's cultural dynamics there that are incompatible and there's nothing wrong with that you want to have a variety of options out there and, and so that's that's and, and so I, I think there's, we've had a lot more productive dialogue on what it actually means to achieve liberty within our times, given the divisions, than I, than I, I think we perhaps had in some, some of the previous years where we're kind of focused on a single campaign or some sort of unifying banner. Um, yeah, I, I think competition provides a lot of, of good uh, results, uh, regardless of the market or politics.
0: Sure. I mean, we didn't get to the point we're at today where we have essentially an ex- extremely progressive government, extremely progressive culture, extremely progressive political system. We didn't get that w- to this point because progressives went off and formed the progressive party where they all stayed and talked about progressive things and said, here's where all the progressives should go. No, they went everywhere to the point that you know their Democratic par- Party is certainly a progressive party. The Republican Party is certainly a progressive party. Right. Elements of the Libertarian Party could be <laughs> argued to be the progressive party so and it's obviously all through the culture Um, so it's it really was a, a full full thronged approach uh, on every level Um, and I think libertarians need to have the same idea we don't need to be we might be splintering in different areas but we don't need to splinter into one area we need to splinter into every possible area Um, I, this is, dovetails nicely into the, the debates been going on specifically here on Lions Liberty where we had Dave Smith and Eric Brakey debating uh, strategy wise and I, I've my thing with that debate is whenever I'm listening to one of them that's who I I think is right in the moment. Cause I think they both make very strong arguments for their positions. Um, <laughs> but ultimately I come down on the side of do whatever you're going to be passionate about and do whatever you're going to be most effective at because if you're going to be passionate and effective about going to Republican meetings and working your way through the party and helping get people elected there and you can do that and stomach that, well do that because you're going to be more effective there. But if doing that is going to make you sick to your stomach, if right. putting on a suit and going to a meeting and doing this and that is, you're, if you're going to hate your life, please don't do that. Maybe right. you should go to the Libertarian meeting right. and, and help the Mises caucus if, if, if that's what you want to do. So that's kind of my my thought. But what's, what are your your thoughts on the actual strategy debate uh, about just how to c- accomplish things politically, uh, whether it's through the Republican Party or whether it is trying to build up some kind of third third leg here of the Libertarian Party and at least trying to get a, a strong Libertarian voice out there that we're probably not going to get at the head of the Republican Party. Well,
1: okay, I, I, so so I, I am the the vice chairman of my Republican Party here in Bay County, which I think uh, shows where, where my I stand I think on that. So. Um, my. And again, I, you know, whatever you got, you know, ultimately, whatever really motivates you is is what you should pursue. I, I, I perhaps I think one of the differences I have with 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 Eric Brakey is which is a subtle one, but I think kind of goes to why I'm a little bit more punchy online about this issue. Is that for one? Like I don't, I don't think the GOP is the answer for all the libertarians. I, if the, the the loser brigade out there, yes, as they're as they're dubbed, and, and some of those, those leftists that like to argue with Dave Smith and make fun of Dave Smith and, and attack, like the, the, I think the, the Mises Caucus people, which I think the, the the core, the best part of libertarian party movement, right? I I, I think those people are, I, you know, I encourage them to join the Democratic Party. I, I you know, I or I I think that's fine. I I I very much support a, a two pronged approach here. My issue is, I, I think the LP itself is just a a fundamentally useless organization I, I think third-party politics with the way that the system hat we have is is a strategically bad approach period because we have a two-party system like that, that's the go- structure of the government that we have um now there are changes that could be had that would change that but at that point like why if, if you're going to push for like one ma- because and, and you see this i think within some lp circles is that they make the issue the duopoly mm-hmm. as if that's the core problem of the american government it's like no like the, the main core of the America, problem with the American government is that we are an empire. You know, we, we have a centralized authority we, uh, uh, full of people that, you know, it's, it's unelected bureaucrats, it's professional political class in D.C. that have far more impact than the average few of your average American. That is the problem. And so if you're going to really take a mace of bat at the current status quo, like the problem is not two parties.
0: We could have six parties if, we, right. if it, and if it has the same culture that leads to the same yeah. things, then what and, does it matter?
1: Yeah. And again, and, and there's plenty of arguments for like parliamentary systems the way sure. Fine. Great. But again, like, it's no easier to change what we have now to a parliamentary system than it is like they have secession or things like that. Um, so, it's okay, I think what the problem I have with the LP as a strategy is that, again, for example, like Dave Smith has done more for the LP than the LP has ever and I think will ever do for Dave Smith. I think that's clear. <laughs> yeah, well, When he goes on Joe Rogan, we, when, when you have this entire network now, particularly of alternate you know, things, then you know, it is a massive win for liberty. That, 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 those Ron Paul moments that I think we all aspire to on the debate stage when Ron Paul was a Republican, you, you get that every time you get a Michael Malice or you get a Dave Smith giving uncompromising intellectual fodder to the audience of Joe Rogan or Tim Pool and all that, right? Like, that, that's already happening. You don't need a party for that.
0: This speaks right back to what we were discussing earlier, how you learned about libertarian ideas through a Batman forum. Because right. forget forget part of the problem, which does very well. It's, it's probably one of the hot, most listened to niche libertarian podcasts. But Dave Smith reaches a quarter million people a week on Legion of Skanks. And the fact that he's a successful comedian, not a successful libertarian who happens to do comedy. He is a successful comedian Uh, that gets him in front of so many more people each and every week, gets him on Joe Rogan. And when people end up liking his comedy and liking him because of that, now they're more open to hearing what his other ideas are. The other way around, it it doesn't work the other way around.
1: And it's the same, with, same thing is true with Tom Woods. I mean, Tom Woods, I, you know, I know, was, was a Rothbarding kind of you know, early on in his, his career, but it was his work with, with uh, his fascinating work on, in the Catholic Church and the, the history there, his work as a historian, that I think help pave the way for him having this a much larger platform to introduce these ideas. Um, you know, and this is all. This is this is exactly this is the most powerful thing out there. And, and the fact that you're now having people like Rob Schneider and and some of these figures out there is very exciting, right? And I, I think that's exactly the sort of approach where, again, you don't need a party for that. Like again, I, I don't I don't think the party structure helps that. These the, the party structure is helped by. These, these sort of the the, the, the professional career and in the, in the reach of someone like Dave Smith, and so that's why yeah I, I think Dave Smith's right on just about every single issue out there. There's not really areas where, where there, I, I can think of any sort of disagreement. It's just that, again I, I I question the that the, the party itself as a, as a, a positive force out there, and particularly when you consider the fact that in a lot of these localized campaigns that I know the Mises Caucus again the, the the beauty of the Mises Caucus, which is the strength of the LP, is the fact that it understands the importance of local action. It's not trying you know they, they understand the lp shouldn't try to act like a major party because it's not one and so a lot of focus on the local issues on the you know, decriminalization and other aspects all that's great but what does the party at infrastructure actually help there the mises caucus by itself does more work than the party does in these areas and so that, that's kind of where it's my my view is a little bit perhaps stronger and, and perhaps uh less tolerant than my <laughs> perhaps than, than some of the other um someone like eric Brake, who does a great job of, of reflecting the gains being made on the gop
0: <laughs> All right, kitties, I got to take a quick time out to tell you about a great friend, a great patron, a great supporter of this show, our man Zach over at Zotti Italy. And our friends at zotti Italy, they're not just great libertarians. They are great businessmen. They are great people to support. And they do a fantastic job getting you fine Italian premium coffee blends at affordable prices in these nice little tins they ship right to your house. And one thing I really love about our friends at Lorenzati Italy is that they are not just you know great coffee connoisseurs. They don't just send you coffee to your house. They also help others who are trying to start their own businesses, their own coffee shops. They help them acquire equipment, uh, procure financing, all of what it takes to start a business in the coffee industry. These guys are there to help you. So whether you're a connoisseur of fine coffees or you're looking to get into the coffee industry, you got to check out our friends at Lorenzati Italy. Find them over at Lorenzati. and use discount code LIONS for 10% off your order. I saw you. I'm not sure exactly where I saw this Twitter, Facebook, who you knows somewhere out there. But you made a pretty good you laid out a pretty good situation of how a third party like the Libertarian Party could actually be effective. And it's not by trying to run a candidate everywhere and become the next Republican or Democrat party, but by actually becoming, you know, by by basically, well, I'll let you lay it out. But essentially by becoming, a, you know, I'll, let, I'll just let you take it from there. I, why, why should I sum up your position when you can detail it much better than I can?
1: <laughs> I, th- I think one of the things that's actually really interesting in American politics is um, the, the the conservative party of New York, which was something that William H. Buckley um, started. Again, I've got a lot of issues with Buckley, but like there's, there's some, some good things there, too. And and so what was interesting is that this is kind of the time where like the GOP was changing philosophically. That's kind of the, the Goldwater era and things like that. And so the GOP was was becoming. Um, the conservative party that at least rhetorically that, you know, Ronald Reagan, whatever, set the stage for. And so what what the conservative party do, did its operating philosophy was basically it understood that its role was essentially playing spoiler against the GOP. And so the idea was that it would run. So if you had a Republican in New York that was governing by what they considered to be conservative values, then the conservative party. Would not run a candidate and endorse a Republican. If you had a moderate Republican, moderate even by Buckley standards, um, then they would run a candidate, then 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 they would run a candidate to try to split the vote and as a punishing aspect, right? And I think this could be a very interesting mechanism. Like if, if the LP wanted to be, I think, a, a, a relevant political entity, then this would be a way of basically saying, hey, look, GOP, you know, like like the, you know, Shane Hazel's race in Georgia, right? Hey. You know, you blame me for the GOP loss, rightly or wrong, you know, right or wrong, whatever that's that's perception. Um, if you want to stop that, then, you know, you, you're you going to start taking our cases seriously. And and you, know, you, you perhaps have like a, a single issue or two that you'd really highlight. That like This is the one thing that we're going to prioritize right now. Florida, for example, you wouldn't the LP wouldn't run a candidate against Ron DeSantis because you would identify lockdowns as the most important issue of the time, which I think is fair in this political environment. Um, we're going to reward Ron DeSantis because he took a bold stand for liberty. We're not. We're going to you know, perhaps go as far as endorsing him. That'd be a kind of a secondary thing at that point. We're not going to run someone that could take away votes. And and I think if you, if you do that, if you pick certain races, you, you know, which governors do you punish? Which governors do you reward? Which state house members and things like that? It would take its position as a third party and create capital. It would create a chip because not only are you are you. You have a stick where you can take away some of the Republican voters, but you're also offering the carrot where you're like you're 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 actively going to help your, your user organization to reward mm-hmm. parties that do. And the thing is, like, this is not the way the LP has acted ever before. I mean, like they, they were uh, you'd frequently have LP candidates running against like Amash and Massey. And you can be the most libert- and because for certain libertarians, the party matters more than the cause.
0: Which is hilarious, actually, because yeah. that, that's supposed but to be the whole reset. thing here is that we're against right. the system. We don't like the system, so we sh- so screw the system. And to screw the system, we're going to focus everything on the party, which is exactly how the system operates.
1: <laughs> yes. And, and, and you're, you're going to lose that battle. Cause like you're, there's nothing you can do to make the like. So, so again, it's just it's just a total waste. The problem is, is that again, like can this it, that would require a very disciplined party. So it would require that if you have someone that wants to you know, run against the wishes of the state apparatus, then they're removed, right? Like you, you, it, it, you would have to have a very strong disciplined political organization. And I, I don't think that libertarian, because we, by our nature, right, we're, we're anti-authoritarian in that regard, right? I mean, this is kind of our charm that, you know, James, I, you know, I was never, someone I was particularly outraged by James Weeks going up on stage and stripping. Like I never, because who, who, you know, like, like the, the, the fact that that generated more headlines, you know, in a, you know, all, all news is positive, right? I, I was always very sympathetic to like I, Mac McAfee. I, I'm convinced if McAfee was the candidate in 2016 over um, Gary Johnson, that Donald Trump probably would have never won in 2016 because I think it would have attracted enough of that wild man sort of vote. Like I, I, I think Spike Cohen is is one of the best representatives of the LP in its current form that exists because he's someone that I think speaks to some of that, that alternative media, neither right nor left sort of demographic, which I I, I think there's a lot of interest in trying to court. All this is great. I just, sorry, but I don't, I don't see someone like a James Weeks or or a or a or a John McAfee or or a Spike Cohen not acting because a chairman of a state party told him not. To. No, no. I- <laughs> and, 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 and so like, that's why I, I don't think it's practical for like the, the the actual human beings that are in the LP. And I, again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just that's why, like, I, I I'm, but, but again, that's what I would do. That's what I would try to promote if I was interested in trying to make the LP a particularly effective political vessel given the structure of government we have right now.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think the biggest complaint I heard and made about the Libertarian Party over this past year was the lack of emphasis and lack of focus on lockdowns as the only issue that matters, really. Yes, there are other issues that matter, but in this day and age, what is uh, what has impacted more people's lives directly? What can you connect with more he- real human beings on, not just at the intellectual level where we were reading our Rothbard and our Mises, but in the real life level? Like they just close your business. Like yes, that's exactly who we need to be talking to. And Republicans were not strong on this at any level. Uh, obviously, Democrats not not even trying to be strong on it, and neither was the Libertarian Party. I mean, there were there were individual Libertarians. Uh, Even you know Spike and Joe spoke about this on the campaign trail to some extent, but it needed to be the only issue. I mean, it really needs to be the only issue uh, at this point. And if you're gonna, you know, if you're not gonna make that the focus, and then you're gonna go run a bunch of candidates and run a bunch of campaigns especially against governors who really did take a big stand on that, which are very few and far between, but if you're going to run against them to, to try to run a purity campaign, what are you doing? I mean, what, what are you doing? And at least do both. You know, If you're going to be talking about lockdowns all the time, and you were more pro-lockdown or more anti-lockdown, I should say, than even the governor, even like Governor DeSantis, uh, okay, then at least you have credibility there. But when you didn't talk about it for a year, hardly at all, and then you want to run campaigns against people that actually did, did present whether we like them or not on other things like like you said no one nothing has affected your life more than the fact that Ron DeSantis is is governor of florida if he were not you might be like california right now i mean it's it's that it's that real of an impact and if we're going to ignore that impact and ignore where we can meet real people on the thing that has affected their life more than anything else in the world then we're just not understanding politics we're not understanding populism and how we need to use it to our advantage
1: currently right now in the year 2021 um, it could change the future, but right now, I, I would have no problem saying that. I think the Republican Party is a more radical and extreme party than the LP in terms of its its actual infrastructure. And, and I think you can see this again. You know, like, while the GOP wasn't you know, universally great in Ohio and a lot of these states, you know, Texas was very weak in the way that you know, just now, um, I'll, I'll probably find compare uh, 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 criticisms. But you have you have things where like the the, the New York City Young Republican Club. You know, held a, 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 uh, a you know, secret gala, uh, actually across state lines, um, that, that grew like the, the, drew the, the strong condemnation of both the New York the government of New York and New Jersey. Uh, Matt, Matt Gates was the speaker there. Gavin Wax is the president. And like, they were both condemned by name by the governor of these states. What was the last time that a, a libertarian <laughs> so drew the ire of the state? They said, we don't want you in our borders anymore. Uh, Shane, Shane Hazel might have gotten some of that in yeah, some probably, probably yeah. like, He might it.
0: be the only one though.
1: But being, I mean Ronda Sanderson's stand, you know Christy Gnome's stand. Um, you know, and, and it, 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 the fact that I, I love the the aesthetics of like the hangman's noose in front of the Capitol that, that the media loves running nonstop. But it's like those are Trump supporters <laughs> that, that 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 had that that you know had this very militant response. Right to a to the illegitimacy of the state. And like you're not getting that from the LP on a major on a major level. I and mean, there's there's certain people, there's individual actors that are, but again, as as it stands right now, the number of of boomer Republicans that contested this election. I, I think that, that that is a more that, that is more radical. Saying that Joe Biden is an illegitimately elected president is more radical in today's day and age than some than, you know than, than tweeting Black Lives Matter or making a point about trans rights or even decriminalizing heroin. Or, you know, like, I, you know, like I, I just roll my eyes when people just kind of create new versions of the bumper sticker of like, oh, well, you know, I, I believe that gay married couples should be able to protect their, lead, you know, their weed with AR50. It's like, a, that was edgy like in 2008.
0: Mm-hmm. Now now we'll update it to use uh, trans married couples. Or yeah. Something. And it's just
1: like, come on. Like, it's this like, it, it's ridiculous. And again, I, you know, it, it's, it's, and, and this is the point that Jeff Dice uh, has been making a lot kind of inspired by by some of pet uh, Steve Bannon's stuff is that. You know, the difference between us and like 2008, where you had the Ron Paul moment, right? Is that like you can see like memes being shared by like, teenage high school students that mention ANCAPs, right? Like, like it, it's not that we, you know, not necessarily that, that you have a whole legion of like Zoomer ANCAPs. So I think there's probably more ANCAPs that are Zoomers than in, in any other demographic at that age group. That's great. But like there's, 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 we have, there's more people have access to out of the mainstream political thought than you did in 2008. 2008. Because of how politicized YouTube has become, because of social media, et cetera, et cetera, Reddit and Fortune, all those sort of things that, you know, it's not like we're necessarily introducing completely new ideas to people and that now their eyes are going to open up wide and go down this rabbit hole the same way. I mean, I've never, never heard of Austrian economics until I, I I think there's more people that have perhaps a, a superficial understanding of it, of like anarcho-capitalism or what yellow and black means. I, I think there's a lot more, you know, it, it's, it's worked into those sort of conversations more now. And so we can't just have kind of a shock factor. And and so, again, that, it, it, it applies. It, it goes back to how do you make this stuff relevant to people that aren't always bu- that are already bought in? And there's a variety of ways of doing it. Um, but I, I, I think that trying to create our own sort of, you know, sealed separate entity or, or movement. I, I don't th- you know, talking about yourself. I don't think that's the way of doing it.
0: All right. Well, there's a lot to think about here um, as as it pertains to this strategy conversation, and uh, I hope people will take some more insight from those thoughts as well. One more thing I want to circle back to, though, before we wrap up here, I want you to Take one more stab, you know. We we got the the basic case for Florida, but I know there are, are people like me, including me, listening right now, uh, who are in a state. Perhaps that state might be a place like California, where it's just very, very obvious that, uh, you know. I, I guess for me personally, yes, the politics were always not that libertarian, of course, and I always looked at it as, well, this is the place I want to live. This is the place I have my, my life, and I love it here, except for X, Y, and Z policies that I just deal with. But now this past year it really did go from there's some. Politics I don't like to. No, no, no. Now it's completely affected my lifestyle. I mean, completely. Uh, I mean, the fact that we're still essentially we still are not allowed to go into a, a restaurant here. That's still not allowed yes. in this whole state. I mean, it's, it's absurd. I can't go to a movie, which is one of my favorite things to do is to go to a movie theater and watch a movie. Not allowed mm-hmm. to do it anywhere in the state. Um, so for people like me that are just looking at. Mm-hmm at the best option going forward. Uh, why don't you make that pitch? I know where it's going to be. Why don't you make that pitch for Florida over a wherever else people are looking? I know people l- like me <laughs> might be looking at places like Arizona, Texas, New Hampshire, even South Dakota, mm-hmm. Idaho. Why does Florida really have it all for, for liberty lovers?
1: So for one, again, no income tax, which is important. More importantly, constitutional amendment a few years ago, it's going to require a super majority of the legislature. So let's say like Democrats won an election 2022, took over the state house. You have a lot of built-in protection on the tax side, which is particularly important. We're also becoming redder, which, again, on the economic side of things is very, very good. Um, I I, I guarantee you we're going to end up having a constitutional vote probably in 2022 on the marijuana issue. Um, One of the things that Ron DeSantis did as soon as he came in was punching back against the Republican state legislature that was trying to ban um, LEAF medical marijuana. Which, considering the, the speaker of the House, who is actually really good on a lot of issues, he was—he's uh, was a man named Jose Oliva of the Oliva cigar family. Like the dynamics the there didn't quite work out. So, so we're becoming better on on those issues as well, which has always kind of been a handicap in the state of Florida. Uh, our again, our property taxes are still relatively low. We're very income uh, 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 sales tax related state, which. Again, all taxation is theft, but I think sales tax is the best way because it it actually it, it, it's the way of broadening the tax base in a way that pushes put as least amount of burden on the population um, of residents as, as you can. And one of the, the, the great things about if, if you need any sort of salesmanship on Bay County in particular, just Google Panama City Beach beaches, because we have we are the world's most beautiful beaches. I will fight anybody that says otherwise. I, I'm very much a, a, a nativist on this this regard. And uh, again, it's beautiful sand. And the best thing about it is that if you compare the property prices in Bay County, that's gone up significantly last year. Like my house, I was looking at refinancing. It's a house I bought a little over a year ago. It's crazy. But still, our, our, our property values relative to a lot of other areas, particularly considering the beauty of our area, compares very favorably to anyone. And on top of that, on the west side, we're about to put in a active retirement center, Jimmy Buffett themed, appropriately enough, Obviously. <laughs> um, which will probably bring in more conservative, anti-tax boomers. Um, because that tends to be a political shift in Florida, which is why we're becoming redder. And we have a massive military uh, a base going uh, improvements being made on the east end of the county, which again, not necessarily the, the sexiest pitch libertarians, but what it means is that there's going to be more people coming in. And so the the value of this area, I think, in terms of property values is only going to go up. So that's why Bay County in particular, I think, is one of the the best places in the state on top of the other social network and and the other advantages I have down here. And if anybody wants to take me up on it, I will buy anybody, any of your listeners, if they come to Panama City for a vacation, uh, I I will buy them a a, I'll buy them dinner if they reach out to me on on Twitter. Because the more I think the more people that just experience it once on vacation, they will get hooked And a lot of the people that move here and relocate here came here on spring break, um, which they even remembered the beauty after all of the all of the how wasted they got on on the beaches back in the 90s. So uh, if you if you visit the Redneck Riviera, you'll, you'll never forget it.
0: All right. You heard it here first. That is an offer. It is in audio form. Uh, I've got the evidence yes. if you need to, if anyone needs to back it up, yes. though, Bishop will buy you dinner if you reach out and, uh, and, uh, yeah, and ask him. So, yes. uh, and this, you don't just mean like running through Carl's Jr. Right. We're talking like
1: some, some restrictions may apply, right. but
0: yeah, don't just go ordering
1: the lobster thermidor right away, but right. Yeah. We're not, we're not going out the 30 a, which is a little pricey out there, but I mean, I, 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 I want as many people as possible to come in here. I'm trying to do an event down here before too long. Because again, it's, it's such a, I just, I love it. Like, I, I, it's so great to be able to, to, to have a job that I love working here and then being able to, to mix my chocolate with my peanut butter, with my Mesa stuff <laughs> and Panama City stuff. And it's, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm you know, I, I, this has been a very dire, you know, 2020 was awful for a lot of people. It's been very dark times for a lot of people, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm as happier as I've ever been. So I, I want other people to feel the way I feel.
0: All right, well, if anyone wants to reach out to you though for that free dinner, let them know how they can do yes. so and let them know how they can find everything else that you're involved with out there
1: you can find me on Twitter at Tho Bishop, T-H-O-B-I-S-H-O-P. It is a very weird name. Um, and then you can also find me at the Mises Institute's website. And, uh, again, uh, usually weekly I do a podcast with Ryan McMakin, uh, Radio Rothbard. So any of those, uh, find me on any of those platforms.
0: All right, Tho Bishop, keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thank you. <laughs> All right, gang, thank you for listening, and thank you to Tho Bishop for hopping on, having a chat with me about the free state of Florida, and uh, you can't really get a better than offer than that, my friends. Show up, reach out to Tho, get a free dinner. I mean, it's going to be hard to find a better welcome offer than that if you're interested in checking out the state of Florida. Florida. And either way, I hope you are certainly interested in checking out the rest of the slate of podcasts we have here on Lines of Liberty this week. Of course, on Wednesday, Brian McWilliams will be showing up to smack you right across the face with his very unique, very wild, very raucous, very mispronounced brand of liberty on electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt will wrap things up on Thursdays with his adventure into the world of freedom over on Finding Freedom. I made up that tagline. That's not the official tagline of the show, but here we are. We got to roll with things, okay? So check out Finding Freedom on Thursdays. Check out all of the shows here on Lions of Liberty by smashing the hell out of that subscribe button. And if you just can't get enough, if it's just not enough for you getting three shows a week, guess what? There is more behind the paywall over on Patreon at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty where you get access to all of our bonus audio and video content including live streams, live streams of of our bonus shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, uh, live streams of our many of our roundtable shows that we do uh, that you'll get to see before the rest of the general public. Uh, There's so much content there. You can get it all for as little as five measly smackers per month. Again, head over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty and if you're just through with all the lions and lions related content don't forget to check out the second print comics podcast hosted by myself and remzo w martinez and if you'd like to see some of my thoughts in audio form you can get inside mark claire's mind by subscribing to my substack at markclaire.substack.com. that's all i've got this week until next time my friends live free, and live free.